Hello, and welcome to Make Sense, a podcast where we focus on one of our five senses. Each week, we'll chat with a new guest and explore their experiences and relationship to that sense. I'm Chanel Miller. And I'm Karen Chi. And this week, we're talking about touch with our guest, basketball player Jeremy Lin, who's joining us later on. Janelle, is there anything that you have touched or felt this week that you want to share? My mom cooked me a bowl of woodier mushrooms, and like I could eat those in bucket loads of them. They're just so like rubbery and firm, mm. cold, crunchy. They're mm-hmm. so strangely textured and so slippery, but like very satisfying to eat. So that's my that's my texture of the week. What about you, Karen? What have you uh, touched? <laughs> Mine is also a food thing. Um, some friends and I are part of a quote-unquote dinner club. We just go to each other's houses and whoever's home it's at will cook a big meal. And this week was mine. And I made this dinner, but I also had these like popsicles <laughs> that were just like watermelon and lime juice. And maybe that was it. But I was so... This one's so elementary, but like I put it in and then I was really fascinated by how it had separated sort of during the freezing process. So while you're eating it, you go through the different textures of the liquids frozen and um, it sounds Solid. better. It tastes better than it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's welcome our guest, Jeremy Lin. Woo! Yay! Jeremy, can you introduce yourself to us? My name's Jeremy Lin. Uh, I'm a professional basketball player and uh i'm excited to jump on and chat a little bit about touch just to round out your bio for our listeners um jeremy you were also this is very modest of you just to say you're a basketball player you were actually the first asian american to win an nba championship and also very specifically the night that we met you in person we had gone to see your documentary about linsanity called 38 at the garden which also won an emmy no big deal and um yeah it was such a blast it was so cool to see you on screen and then talk to you in person and be like oh this band is very nice and very gentle and not (laughs) scary at all and very insistent that we make sure that that we try every cocktail we want to (laughs) try that was a really fun night um thank you for inviting me today too so this week our episode is focused on touch so we want to know where you're calling from and like what you can feel (laughs) from where you are right now so i actually um was in between my court workout and my lift so what i feel in touch right now is uh it's kind of gross i'm just a little bit sweaty Um, (laughs) and i ran in here set up the ipad Uh, I'm about to do this podcast, and then right after, I go back and finish my lift. No, that's so special. You can win the title of sweatiest podcast guest. (laughs) That's how we'll introduce you. I like that you're doing a physical workout, and now you're doing a mental workout with us, because we're going to grill you. All right, I'm ready. (laughs) Um, Well, we wanted to start and maybe go back a little bit uh, earlier in your life and ask, when did you first realize that you were particularly well-coordinated? I would say five, five, six, seven. Um, but, you know, I think part of it was, it, it's very interesting because everything is relative. Um, but I had an older brother and I was always chasing him and everything we did. I was, and because of that, he made me feel very uncoordinated. So I actually grew up feeling really uncoordinated. But then when I started to compete against other people my age, all of a sudden I realized, 
oh, uh, I'm com- uncoordinated relative to my, you know, older brother who's three years older. But within the scheme of kind of like, you know, when I first started playing in, in rec leagues and things like that, I was like, okay, um, I, I do feel like I'm pretty coordinated. Um, so that was something that, you know, really helped to be the second child um, in that there was like a higher standard and higher, higher barometer that I was always kind of chasing. And I never really, I mean, I could never get too complacent because of that. Do you feel like you're able to pinpoint the moment when you surpassed him maybe in your basketball abilities? Yeah, it was weird. Like growing up, I was always pretty much, you know, at a certain age from like maybe seven to 18, like age seven to 18. I was basically always like two or three inches shorter than him. And we kind of grew together, but I was always two or three inches shorter. Then in high school, uh, my freshman year in high school, I was five, three. What? Um, No. Yeah. I was five, three. And like, you know, um, half the girls were taller than me and they would call me like Jeremiah the papaya or Jeremiah oh. the bullfrog or like I had all these like little cute nicknames because I was this tiny skinny little Asian and then um I basically grew a foot wow. and so like during that stretch um my brother was in college and he had come back you know he would always come back for all the holidays and stuff but at a certain point it got to the point where I was just like five inches taller than him six inches taller than him and then that's when it was kind of like everything kind of shifted in terms of like you know being able to compete against him and stuff wow so let's i want to talk about your eighth grade basketball career so i'm assuming like you're already you're still small but you're starting to thrive at school are people recognizing your ability like is it part of your identity yet like who were you on your eighth grade campus yeah, so in eighth grade, um, so first of all, I was the guy who wore basketball shorts under every, <laughs> like whatever. So if I had like, you know, at that time, jean shorts, or if I had like windbreakers, there's basketball shorts <laughs> underneath. So like at any point in time, if it's lunchtime after school or whatever, like, oh, we're playing, take right, my just, pants. you know, um, get my basketball, <laughs> take off my pants and I got basketball shorts underneath. I was, I was that guy. I was still, you know, tiny skinny but um i was playing for the a team and we had you know and we were um you know we were a very successful team and won the whatever um but then i wasn't really like the cool like i wasn't really part of the athlete crew i was you know hanging out with my asian crew and we weren't necessarily seen as cool but then i was like this anomaly because it's like oh that's asian basketball player so i was always kind of in between um which i guess is basically the story of my childhood was like I grew up Asian going to Asian church all my parents friends were Asian and then I'll go to a primarily white school and then in elite basketball um, it was primarily African-American and so I I kind of felt like I was part of these three different worlds. I thought about that a lot I was thinking about your life a lot in your last decade and how it's been like so unusual and non-linear and like emotionally loaded. And I think about how you've lived in so many different cities and operated in all these different contexts. You've navigated racial identity, public and private identity. Like your life is so rich with experiences, but I imagine it's also very like chopped up. And from the outside perspective, you just seem like you've endured just an unnatural amount of change an adjustment that most people like may never have to experience. So I'm wondering 
who helped you learn this ability to adapt? Yeah, I played 13 years of professional basketball. And if you count all the teams that I've played on, um, you know, with midseason trades, getting, you know, being demoted to the development league and then come back up. I played on about 15 teams in 13 seasons, which means I've lived in wow. 15 cities in 13 years. Um, and, and, you know, that level of consistent change is not easy. Um, that's why I have a therapist mm. and a sports psychologist and I have mentors and I have people that um, pour into me to kind of help me navigate all these different changes um and and i would say like you know when it comes to adaptability i really feel like my family and my faith are like what ground me right so every time i do anything um you know i play in a season or whatever i always come back to a place of like needing to be restored grounded centered to feel at home and then you had mentioned like the compartmentalization of things like my life is so compartmentalized. I mean, I actually like have like stuff all across the world. My stuff like I have stuff in storage. I have stuff in a in a house in, at my parents house in Palo Alto. I have stuff in Beijing. I have stuff in uh, Kaohsiung. I have stuff in Guangzhou. Like a lot of times, like because things happen so fast, I can't even pack everything up and move it with me to the next place. And so I end up with just stuff scattered and. I think that's something where, you know, for me, home is uh, I can find home at any place where I have quiet time um, with with uh, with God. Uh, anytime I'm reading the Bible and praying um, and, and I feel I'm in a place of stillness and quiet, I can feel at home. And then uh, really, uh, it sounds selfish, but I what I realized is that, like, to be grounded, I need to ask of other people and ask them to pour back into me. And I had a really hard time doing that when I was younger. Um, and, and it felt really selfish. Um, but for example, last uh, two seasons ago, I went through something really, really difficult. When I came home that summer, I actually asked my brother, my older brother, I said, look, um, if you're okay with it, I would love to schedule with you. Once per week, I wanna do three things. Um, one is I wanna eat with you one-on-one, -on -one, once a week. I want to play pickleball with you once a week, just us two. And then I want to have a night where once a week where us is, you know, us and our friends, we play uh, our favorite video game, Dota 2, together. And my in his wife, my sister-in-law was like, oh, I feel like you're stealing my husband like three times a week. You have three dates with him. You have three dates with him per week and I only get one. And it was really funny. We were joking about it, but obviously, like, I'm really close with her, too. And she was like, no, she totally understood. She's like, you know, she's like, Jeremy, I'm actually really proud of you because you know what you need to be restored and, and centered. And you're you're now making you're, you're being willing to make those demands and asks um, from the people around you. That's really impressive. I love that you had the self-awareness and the ability to ask for it. And I bet it isn't actually selfish because I'm sure if your brother or sister-in-law needed that from you in return, you would be more than willing to do that for them. And going off of what you said of moving a lot and having your stuff all around the world, what are the things that you make sure to keep with you when you go from place to place? Like, are there things that are recurring objects or clothing or, you know, things like that? Yeah, great, great question. Um, and I think the peak of like what really tested me was um, for three years I played when COVID hit for three years, I played basketball in a bubble. 
Meaning, I'll, only thing I do is go from gym to hotel, back to gym, back to hotel. I could not leave. I could not walk down the street. I could not do anything. What you bring in the bubble is very indicative of your most precious items. Because <laughs> you show up with like one suitcase and you're there for a, a couple months or a season or whatever. Um, for me, every bubble that I went to, I had some you know, rehab stuff, foam rollers or things like that just for rehab. I had family photos. Um, and then I had books. Um, I'm, I'm big on reading. Um, and then my Nintendo Switch uh, or my, you know, my gaming laptop so I can play Dota 2. Those are my like absolute essentials. What's your favorite game to play on, on Switch? Definitely um, Zelda, whether it's, you know, the, 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 the OG one yes. or the one that just came out. Um, so I'm working my way through the new one. Um, and then I love, I play, you know, it's kind of nerdy. But I play every Pokemon that comes out. So whenever Pokemon comes out, you know, Sword Shield, Scarlet uh, Violet, whatever it is, um, I, I got to get those. And I love the open world concept that they're trying to bring in. So, um, Okay, not to turn this into a gaming podcast, I have one quick fault question. Favorite starter Pokemon, <laughs> who is it? It's easily uh, Squirtle. Um, that is... Yeah. So like even my logo is... Um, is blue and so I love water everything water beach whatever and so Squirtle obviously is yeah, the water yeah. type Pokemon no Squirtle's so. a mature smart choice out of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're like people are like there's no wrong choice I'm like oh no there definitely are wrong choices Bulbasaur is a wrong choice Bulbasaur is a wrong choice <laughs> yeah and Charmander is like a phase everybody goes through you know it's like you're in high school early college you're excited yeah. go for Charmander but when you grow up you get to Squirtle <laughs> Okay, let's let's bring it back. We're in the stadium. So first of all, I remember when I did watch basketball games during COVID, it was so strange only hearing the squeaking of shoes. Like it was so eerie to be a witness to games that were quiet and squeaky. And I wonder how you experienced that. But I also wonder when you were younger, how your parents cheered for you at games? Like were they vocal? So first off, I did not like games with no fans. It just energy you got to bring your own energy drink some coffee or whatever i don't know um but it was just tough not having that energy um but growing up um it was it's hilarious so you know my dad is a very calm collected reserve guy and so um basically at most you're getting two to three claps in a row like one two or one two three and that's it and maybe a smile um so that was that was it like if you you know if, if it's peak excitement you get a three clapper if it's you know it, um and, and so he was very very calm and collected um my mom on the other hand loved us but did not understand basketball and so she would go to every single game and uh basically she just yelled defense um <laughs> and that's all she would do and Sometimes, you know, it was almost like a gut reaction of like something would happen and she's, it would just, you could see it start in like the pit of her stomach and they would like go up through her esophagus and they'd like go through her throat and she would just like blurt it out and she's like, the defense, you know? And it's like, there are times when she would yell defense and we would be on offense, you know? Like, and I remember thinking this cause I was like, I would watch games with her. I would watch my little brother's games with her or my older brother's games with her. And I'm like, Mom, we're on offense. We're on offense. And she was like, oh, defense. And so that's basically it. She would just be like, yeah. And then like defense. And then, ah. 
defense. And it was just like hilarious. And well, it's hilarious now, but it's so embarrassing back then that I was just like, mom, I can't sit next to you. Um, and so, yeah, it was super cute. It was super funny, but she was just like yell and clap. And she was very, uh, she was, she was very, you know, expressive. You said your dad, your dad can convey his like, uh, tamed enthusiasm, but is there anything, any way that he conveyed dissatisfaction? Like what, what would he do if something went wrong? Nothing. I mean, he was basically stone faced the majority of the time. And so when he was upset, he wasn't, you, you know, you couldn't really tell. He'd just be mm-hmm. kind of stone faced. But then, you know, if we get in a car or we go to eat after and he's not, he's not happy with the performance or if my mom's not happy, they will let us know for sure. Really? <laughs> Your mom's like, the yeah. defense was really bad. <laughs> yeah. My, my you mom on defense used to... the entire day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, she's grown in her understanding a little bit more, but now it's just funny because uh, when we used to like have bad games, when we the minute the minute we get in the car, the first thing my parents would say was like, "What happened?" <laughs> so we actually had this whole like, kind of like this like multi-year like discussion between all the the sons, uh, me and my two brothers and our parents, and we we're like. Um, after bad games, what we really need to hear is it's okay or I love you and not like, what's wrong? What happened? Why, why you not play well? You know, like that's kind of their, that's their love language of like, let's problem solve. Let's try to help you. Let's try to figure out what, you know, and she'll be theorizing. She'll be like, what did you eat for your pregame meal? How was your nap? She'll be trying to figure out kind of the formula uh, and I think that's very indicative because my parents, immigrant parents, two computer engineers, where if you plug in two plus two, it always equals four. But in sports, like you could do everything right and you just don't get the results you want. And and so that was something that we kind of went through as a family. And now they now it's like the opposite. Like when we have a bad game, they know like, oh, it's, it's time to encourage or comfort or at the very least just to be present and and to be there. That's pretty amazing that you're, you had like a sibling circle up. That can happen sometimes where you're like, we need to bring something to the table to the parents. Like we need to review this agenda and like come up with some new (laughs) guidelines. I love that your parents are essentially very harsh or they were quite harsh, like post game reporters, but they're your family. Um, And we wanted to ask going off of that, what are, because I always see those clips, especially like on Twitter of like, post-game questions and it's always heartbreaking if an athlete is being asked a question after they've lost a game um and so i wondered what is your dream question to be asked after a game i mean if it's a heartbreaking gut-wrenching loss um the question i would love to be asked is uh would you just like to leave right now and not do this interview and i'd be like yes thank you for for yes i would (laughs) um i think because it's like you know, you're juggling so many emotions in that moment of like, obviously heartbreak and you're thinking through what you did wrong or what went wrong, or you're thinking about the hard work that you put in that didn't come to fruition. And so then all of a sudden you had to like, you know, uh, handle this like tornado of like, and sometimes you're spiraling, you know, with negativity. And then you have to be professional, positive and uplifting in, in what you're saying. And sometimes it's just really difficult to do that. 
Um, if you are really worked up in your juggling emotions, like you said, how do you begin to calm yourself down? Or even like before a game, if you have a buildup of, uh, anxious thoughts, or you can just like feel the tension or the energy not being right. How do you get yourself to a place? How do you self-soothe? You know, a lot of people are surprised when I say this, but um, I struggle pretty badly with pregame anxiety. And you would think that, you know, I just completed my 13th season and you would think that I would, you know, have quote unquote conquered or moved past it. But but what I came to realize is that my personality will always have the overthinking, worrying, um, you know, more like fearful, evil, foreboding mindset before a game. And that's my personality. Now, I used to beat myself up because of it. And then I realized instead of beating myself up, I can just come to accept that that's where my mind goes as a, as a defensive mechanism. But I can also redirect my attention. And so that instead of, you know, trying to eliminate it so that there's no pregame anxiety, really what it is is just I'm redirecting those anxious thoughts towards something um more positive, more confident, or more, more, more grounding. Um, and, and so for me, what I do is the first thing is I focus in on my breath. Um, cause the breath, the breath allows you to just change the flow of everything you do. Deep inhales, deep exhales, um, focusing back on the present. Um, so, you know, a lot of my anxious thoughts deal with uncertainty of a future result. If I am focusing on my breath, I am now just here in this moment right now with my inhales and my exhales. The other thing I do that I love doing that is super powerful for me is I typically go and hang on to um, one specific Bible verse. And so um, when I was really, really struggling with my anxiety, this was like after Linsanity, like the season after Linsanity, I had really, really bad pregame anxiety because I felt like I had to live up to this whole, you know, this whole like reputation and and be this like amazing player and i was struggling with it and my my agent um at the time roger montgomery he said i want you to write down your top five fears for your career so i wrote them down one two three four five and then i went and found five scriptures five bible verses that helped me um to counter uh, or redirect my thoughts as it relates to each one of those fears how much of your brain during an actual game, in the middle of playing, is it you mentally strategizing what's going on? And how much do you leave up to, like, your physical intuition? Uh, <laughs> my family knows. Like, after a game, if you try to talk to me and have a conversation, I probably can't talk to you, like, about something serious. Yeah, yeah. My brain is so fried at that point because the game at a professional level, especially in my position, is so... Uh, brain oriented that it is ex exhausting because as a point guard my job is not just to succeed myself my job is to actually uplift make everybody around me better I'm in charge of calling the plays I'm in charge of getting the flow right of who gets what shot what position am I putting him in when does he receive the ball is that his his how he likes to be used and so I can't just think about myself I gotta think about the other four on the team with me and then not only that, I have to think about the five opposing players and what their defensive schemes are and how do I counter that. So I'm balancing everything in addition to what the coaching staff is asking of me and wanting me to do. Now, once you, that stage is set, then you got to kind of turn off 
the thinkers. And when you actually execute the play, you go back to you go back to instinct and intuition. And that's what allows you. And that's why I've always said basketball is one of the most beautiful forms of art because it is so free flowing and there's so much that requires instincts, read and react. But if you approach it mechanically, if you approach it robotically, then you will never be a great player because the truth is the defense will never give you the same exact look over and over and over again. So you have to be able to adapt and and flow. Karen, would you like to introduce our closing segment? Sure. Um, Okay, so Jeremy, we have made the segment called the drizzle round because lightning rounds, we think, are a little bit too fast and sometimes the answers are too rushed. So we're calling it a drizzle round because a drizzle is a nice light rain and we'll have some nice evenly (laughs) paced pitter-patter of questions for you. Does that sound good? I like that. There's so much intentionality in your your podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, So since this drizzle round is about touch, we have some questions for you. The first one is, what is your favorite texture to touch or feel? My favorite texture is probably like when it's like like this shirt. It's like this dry fit. It's like soft, stretchy, Mm. and light. And then like... If it gets wet, it dries really quickly. But for whatever reason, like if I have like sweatpants or or leggings or anything in this material, like I'll wear it to sleep, like for pajamas, um, just because it's like it's the best. What do you never want to touch again? What do I never want to touch again? Oh, there's a, um, <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> there's, there's a lot Are you okay? What have you touched that was so bad? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's just like when you play basketball, you're oh. always like you you always like end up like touching people and places and you're like, oh shoot, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um <laughs> But like, okay, the worst, the worst is in basketball, I'm like always I'm a point guard, so I'm always like the shortest and skinniest guy on the floor. And there's Brag. always these huge seven footers and they and they set screens and sometimes you don't see them coming. So sometimes like I'm guarding somebody, I turn and there's a seven footer and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the big men, they sweat a lot. So they're like, they usually sweat the most. So I'll turn and sometimes like my faith will just go like, I'll go face first into his like stomach chest area. And it's like all sweaty and gross. And I'm saying it's like, I got slapped with a wet towel. Um, And it's so nasty. Uh, um, those are the I, I never want to touch that uh, but as long as I play I will have to <laughs> in the sliding door version of your life what would you be doing if not basketball Ooh, I uh, would love to do philanthropy oh. um, that is uh, when I went to school um, I, I studied so I wanted to major in sociology I want to understand why are poor communities poor um, systemically poor and how do we you reverse or change that cycle um, and uh, so I wanted to major in sociology but my parents were like you know that's too narrow so you have to major in you know econ so I did that and then I minored in sociology um, so that was really what I went to school for um, I never thought I would be a professional basketball player for very long um, I thought maybe at most one or two years and I would pivot into that but it worked out. I'm about to head into year 14, and my Harvard degree has done nothing for me. Um, so I regret studying so hard in college. Just kidding. Uh, I'll, I'll use that, all of that information that I learned 
a few years down the line when I'm done with basketball. Wow. I, it's so fascinating that you said like you thought your basketball career would be short lived. And I think about earlier in the conversation where talking about like getting in your own way or almost like sabotaging your work because it's, I think sometimes it's also scary to imagine like, wow, what if I do truly succeed or what if it works out beyond my wildest dreams? It's hard to grant yourself like boundlessness. (laughs) So, but it's a practice and it sounds like, you know, you've, you've owned it more and more. And that's so exciting. That's a great way to describe it. Thanks for, you know, that's a great way to describe it. So for sure. Any, any final texture questions, Karen? So is there like a thing or experience that you have read about in a book or seen in a piece of media that you have ever wanted to personally feel in real life? So like, this is so random, but like the one thing I always wanted to do was like when I watch like movies about space and I see them like drink water or eat like stuff is like floating and stuff. And it's like, and I'm like, Oh, I want to be like upside down. And then there's like a, like a drip, like a drop of water. And like, yeah, I like always wanted to like do that. Be like, Oh, that'd be pretty cool. I like that so much. Oh man. Well, that's it from us. Um, Jeremy, thank you so, so much for joining us. I appreciate you both. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for spending the hour with us, Jeremy. I appreciate it. And uh, it was, it was a pleasure. And, um, I really felt like I've done, you know, I've done some podcasts before and stuff. I felt like the way that you two, uh, it just feels very gentle and nurturing. I mean, I feel like anybody who comes on this podcast will feel very like, Oh wow. That was like a very safe, gentle, like nice space to be in. Appreciate you two for having me. And, uh, you know, it was, I had a lot of fun. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Make Sense with Jeremy Lin and, of course, with us, Chanel and Karen. We hope we've encouraged you to go into the world with your senses wide open. And we'd love to hear from you. So send a one to three sentence description of something you've experienced to makes.sense.pod at gmail, and we might share it on a future episode. Have a great week. Smell you later. Our producer is Kelly Wessinger. Our engineer is Jack Inslee. Our theme music is by Zakar Valaha, Michael, and Top Flow Production. Don't forget to like and subscribe. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. <laughs>